Uh, this last month, uh, we have spent walking through the book uh, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, uh, just trying to get a good gospel sense, get our bearings around uh, what gospel-centered generosity is, because it's going to take a lot of gospel-centered generosity and sacrifice on our part to make this happen, um, but we believe that this is the gospel for the city of Midland for a long, long time. Uh, so we've spent a much of uh, the month of October working through that and talking about uh, generosity, and if you got one of those booklets when you came in, uh, I'll invite you to take that home with you. Uh, if you're new and just kind of hearing about this for the first time, there's information there about the history of the church, milestones, the project, and all of that. Uh, but I will say this, what is in there is supposed to be uh, week five of this five-week series. Uh, I'm going to have to put that on a shelf for later um, because we're going to change gears just a little bit, and we've got a different uh, text, a different thing that I want to preach this morning. Um, so let me invite you to turn two places, or if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome Welcome to follow along uh, on the screen here, Matthew chapter 13 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So instead of, so this, what makes this Sunday so special for us is that we've talked about this, we've prayed about this, uh, we have asked the Lord to not just provide this for us, but to guide us in this, and then that brings us to today, which is our Commitment Sunday, uh, that we're committing uh, what God has put on our hearts for this project for the next two years. Uh, but instead of talking about generosity, uh, I want to change gears, uh, and what I want to do this morning uh, is to simply unpack what is the message and the mission of the church, um, because I want to think about what we would hope would take place if we could uh, transport out of this time and this place in a hundred years from now, uh, if we could just zoom in uh, to the building that we're building, uh, what would we hope would be happening there? Uh, what is our goal for this? Not just for us, um, but for many, many generations to come. Uh, and so this is what I want to, to unpack is what is our hope for Redeemer 100 years from today? Uh, I'm going to use Matthew chapter 13. That is a, it's a very short, very simple parable that Jesus gives, and, and we're going to use that to kind of introduce uh, the topic that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, new to Christianity, a parable uh, is a made-up story. Jesus loved to use them to teach, so he would concoct a story, create it, fabricate it, uh, so that it would teach a certain lesson or a certain principle. And so this is not the same thing as like using a life example, uh, right? This wasn't Jesus saying, I remember back when I was a kid, uh, X, Y, Z. This is him making a story to, to teach a certain point, and he loved to use them. Uh, and the parable that we have here is one verse. It's just very short, very simple, but it contains a pretty profound truth. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. If you're there, say ready. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, okay, and a lot of his parables were trying to get us to to, to be able to wrap our minds around or understand a little bit about the kingdom of heaven, the, the people of God collectively as one family that will live with Jesus in glory forever, the kingdom of heaven. And he says, it's, it's kind of like this, and then he creates this story. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. He was out in the field wandering around. He, he saw it. He found it, and he covered it up. Why? He didn't want his buddies to find it. He knew what he had found. He wanted it. He needed to buy himself some time. It says that he covered it up, and then in his joy, he was so excited, could not believe what he had stumbled on. 
And he gets so excited in his joy, he says that he goes home and he just liquidates absolutely everything. It was such a valuable thing that he found. He didn't call his accountant and say, hey, real quick, I think this is worth X. What is my net worth right now? It was, it was so much more valuable than anything that he had experienced. He just had no questions, goes home and says he sold everything and buys that field. Could you, could you imagine wandering around Midland and finding something so valuable that you don't even uh, try to figure out what it's worth? You just run home and, and, and try to liquidate everything so that you can get your hands on it? Uh, maybe some of y'all have done that, right? You wander around Midland. Uh, you're rabbit hunting like the Beverly Hillbillies. You shoot, and up from the ground comes what? A bubble and crude. Man, what a great show the Beverly Hillbillies was. Uh, I, I could digress for a while. I won't. Like, let's just say that you find this little chunk of land. I mean, there's like oil from one inch deep. I mean, literally, you're rabbit hunting, you shoot, you miss the rabbit, boom, there's oil, and it goes down 10 miles deep. Some of you are all like, Jason, you don't know how oil works. <laughs> like, you don't know the oil business. Yeah, I will admit that. When we moved to Midland, um, you know, I start seeing all these signs and these businesses about fishing tools. I got so excited. I was like, I love fishing. I don't know what kind of tools you need other than the rod. Lo and behold, to my disappointment, it was not talking about fishing, okay? Uh, but let's say you just, you find, and it's like there's so much oil reserves under there. It's just an absolute no-brainer. So real quickly, you go, you sell everything so that you can buy the deed and have just endless amounts of wealth. It was just such a no-brainer, so valuable. You just traded everything in, and it, it's not like you're weighing it out. It's not like you're, you're, you're sad to say goodbye to something. You're, you're so filled with joy. Your joy compels you towards this infinite thing. That is what Jesus describes as the kingdom of heaven or, or, or Christians experience, a Christian church's experiences. We are those people who have found something in Christ that is so valuable, so infinite in its preciousness and its value that we're willing, as Paul says, and he's not talking about finance, he says, I, I count everything else as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. That's how Jesus in this parable uh, explains a Christian and even a Christian church that we have uncovered this unbelievable treasure. The treasure is Christ and the gospel. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the, the intro to set us up for 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, now, obviously, we've been in the same, uh, the same book for much of October, um, but we're rewinding a few chapters to look at chapter 4. And so if you're new again with us, uh, what Paul is doing, Paul is writing a letter uh, to a local church in a city called Corinth uh, that Paul himself had planted. It was a young church, a lot of brand new believers, a lot of people had come out of uh, very pagan backgrounds and very pagan rituals and very non-Christian things, but they heard about Jesus, and they heard about uh, God become flesh, live a life in their place, died on a cross so that he might forgive them, save them, redeem them, restore them just through repentance and faith. And they did that. They responded. And then you have this church that is born. And if you know much about the church of Corinth, it's an absolute mess. Uh, if you read through the things that Paul was trying to correct in Corinth, it will make you blush. Uh, because there was just so much uh, mess and sin and struggle in this church. Uh, and, and, and Paul, he zeroes in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about the church's message and the church's mission. 
okay? Uh, and this is what we want to happen 100 years from now on the property that we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And I'll say this. I love this text. I've read it a handful of times. I don't think I've ever preached this. Uh, so I'm excited to this morning. Paul says this. For what we proclaim, meaning we as, as Christians, uh, what, what the, the message that we preach, what we proclaim is not ourselves. That sometimes there's a temptation to proclaim ourselves or to proclaim our own, our own wisdom, our own creativity, or use ourselves as examples. He's like, that's not us. That's not how this, this Christianity thing works. What we proclaim, it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for the same God, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. I mean, no doubt Paul had heard the parable of the hidden treasure. I don't know if that was in his mind or not. Same word. He's like, we, we, we found a treasure that is priceless. And he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And all of you folks who were Christians in the 90s, you remember the great songs from jars of clay. Flood, Worlds Apart. I don't remember a lot of the other ones, but I, I, if you started playing them, I could sing them. We have this treasure inside in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's look at the message first, what we proclaim. Paul says, this is what we don't proclaim, this is what we do proclaim. He says, we don't proclaim, like the, the, the heartbeat and the core of the message of Christianity and the Christian church is not ourselves. Uh, you back up two more, oh, well, no, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians, actually. You back up one book and then quite a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, and Paul is saying, listen, when I showed up to, to, to share the gospel and to plant the church in Corinth, I didn't show up with wise words of eloquent wisdom. He's like, I just, I didn't show up with the wisdom of the world, because the Bible says that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. We don't need the best wisdom that man has to offer. We need wisdom from God. He says, I didn't even show up with my own power. In fact, he says, God's power is actually made perfect in our weakness. So he doesn't show up with his own wisdom. He doesn't show up with power. And, and the, the, the message of Jesus is not the message. Like it just, it, it's not a message that was originated from man. And a lot of people have thought about this and pontificated on this a bit. Like the, the gospel of Jesus where what we bring to the table is sin and brokenness and we can't fix ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. No person would have come up with that. Because normally what we concoct with, somehow we're kind of the, we're kind of the victor, we're kind of the hero in the story. But in the gospel message, we're not the heroes of the story. This is not a man-centered gospel, not even a man-derived gospel. Paul says, we didn't come to proclaim ourselves, but he says, we came to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That's four words. There is so much packed into that. Okay, Jesus was his first name, right? We know that. His first given name that just corresponds to him as a, as a person, as a human being. 
He says, we proclaim Jesus Christ, okay? The, the, the title Christ means Savior or Anointed One, and that's Jesus' function towards his people. That we proclaim Jesus was a man, a person, but also he is the Christ. The only hope for salvation is through Jesus Christ. And then he tacks on our Lord, which is a, a, another title. Christ describes what he does for us, saves us, rescues us, forgives us, redeems us. But Lord describes how we should respond to him, that he's the boss, that he's worthy of our worship, of our service, of our uh, bowing and bending towards him. And so you have this whole package. He's like, we don't, we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and, and we've, we've preached this before, but that's a package deal. Right? We don't get Jesus Christ as Savior or, and not as Lord. They both go together. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so many times there's a temptation for us to come to Christ, not necessarily as our Lord, but as a servant. And maybe this was a little bit inside of all of us when we became Christians. We didn't want him to save us so that we could be his servant. Oftentimes we want him to save us so that he could be our servant. Why? I have this need. I need you to come and fix it. I have this problem. I need you to come and and give me wisdom and just kind of serve me and help me navigate through. Paul says, that's not the heartbeat of the gospel. The heartbeat of the gospel is we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is what we hope and pray. And we disciple the next generation that disciples the next generation so that 100 years from now, Redeemer Church is holding out to Midland and the Permian Basin the message of Jesus Christ as Lord. Our goal and job is to cast a spotlight not on ourselves but on Jesus. Why? Why are we trying to shine a spotlight, so to speak, on Jesus? Because that's what God is doing, is the short answer. Because we just read that. We're going to back up and kind of work our way through this text because uh, it says that God shone, shined, I don't know the past tense of that word, uh, the light in our hearts on Christ. And if you're a Christian, that's your story. Maybe you didn't know this or not, but the, the only way that you became a Christian is that the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness physically, right? Genesis 1, the same God that looked out and peered into just absolute utter darkness and said, let there be light, boom, there was physical light. Paul says that same God is the one who shone a light spiritually into our hearts to illuminate Jesus. And that, that doesn't, it's not a physical thing. It's not like, oh, I had this moment then when I closed my eyes and I could see Jesus' face. Like, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about opening our hearts and our minds to be able to truly see with the the figurative eyes of our soul, who Jesus is and what he has done. Only God can do that in a heart. Only God can do that in a broken, dark, human heart. says that God shone the light on Jesus. that's, That's our story. That's our testimony. And you see that... Well, let's back up and work our way through that because he shifts then from uh, talking about uh, God shining light in our hearts so that we might see Jesus. He says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian because God shone a light in your heart to illuminate 
who Christ is, what Jesus does, so that we recognize, oh, I need a Savior. Oh, I, I, Jesus Christ deserves to be treated as the Lord. And then Paul shifts a little bit. That, that's the message. The message of Jesus Christ as Lord, but then he shifts to the mission of the church. And he uses the word but, that's a transitional word. But we, and he's talking about Christians, he's talking about families of Christians, he's talking about churches, and he's going to present somewhat of a, like a juxtaposition or a, a paradox of two uh, kind of different things in the way that he explains the message and the mission relating to Christians and churches. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So let's unpack treasure. What is Paul talking about when he says, we as Christians, we hold a treasure. He's talking about, we have inside our hearts an understanding and illumination of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Jesus and his gospel are the treasure. Paul says, we have this treasure. We found it hidden in a field. God made us aware of it. We, we were willing to abandon everything, even our own attempts at goodness, so that we might be found in Christ. Like, we have the treasure, but Paul's like, he, he takes this infinitely valuable treasure, and then he says it's, it's, it's in jars of clay. And, and, you know, we don't have a whole lot of jars of clay, but in the first century when Paul would have writing this, that would have been a little bit of a, a, an abrupt thing uh, because uh, a jar of clay, uh, some of your, your transitions, some of your translations might say uh, earthen vessels. He says, we have the most infinitely valuable treasure hidden in earthen vessels. Okay, that's us, okay? I don't know if you know this. I hate to burst your bubble. You're not the infinite treasure, okay, in the story. We're the jars of clay. We're the, the earthen vessel. Why does Paul use that term? Uh, jars of clay in their time would have been the cheapest and most common container, okay? This was the Tupperware of the first century, okay? If they had, they have jars of clay trading parties. I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember that. My mom used to have Tupperware parties at our house. I, don't, I guess they don't do that anymore because now it's all disposable, but I digress. Like, Jars of clay would have been the, the cheapest, most common container. It was for very normal, very ordinary things. It was often very unattractive. They wouldn't spend time painting them to try to make them look pretty. They were often very breakable, very fragile. They were sometimes used to store trash, even refuse. If you know what a chamber pot is, oftentimes in the first century, a chamber pot would have been some type of jar of clay or earthen vessel. And Paul says that we... Like the, the, the mission of the church and, and the message of the church is such a strange paradox because we have this infinitely valuable thing that's put inside and entrusted to the, this very common, fragile, broken people. We have this message, this treasure in jars of clay. Listen, on my worst day, when I am tired and beat down and discouraged, I am a jar of clay, like very fragile. The older you get, maybe the more you realize how fragile you are. On my best day, when I'm, I am so joyful, I'm excited, I'm encouraged, I'm invigorated for the mission, I'm ready to charge uh, the gates of hell with a water pistol, I'm a jar of clay, like still, 
On, on our best days and our worst days, we're the, the conduit. We're, we're, not, we're not the treasure. Christ himself is the treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Three things I want you to see this morning about this treasure. So imagine we found the treasure. We picked it up. It's a triangle, right? It's got three sides. Three things about the treasure of Christ hidden in jars of clay. Number one, the treasure of Christ is what we needed. All of us. What we needed was Jesus Christ as Lord. We we don't need to act better. We don't need to shape up. We don't need to fix ourselves. In fact, uh, Paul goes so far in Galatians 2 to say, if that's what we needed and if we could kind of fix our own mess and our own problems and just kind of change our morality and be okay, then Christ died in vain. It was just, it was useless. What we needed was the treasure of Jesus Christ as Lord. God gave us exactly what we needed. We needed to see Christ. If, if you're not a Christian, what, what you need more than anything is for God to turn on the mag light in your heart so that you might see Jesus Christ as the treasure. That's what humanity needs. And, and people that truly see Jesus Christ, not, not physically, not, and I'm not talking about people that just necessarily saw him, but people whose, whose hearts saw him so desperately changed, were willing to trade in all sorts of stuff because they had found uh, an unbelievable treasure. Is that not what just utterly changed Isaiah? I feel like I've referenced Isaiah 6 about five times this year. It's just one of my favorites. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I, uh, Isaiah, saw the Lord, and he had a, a physical manifestation where he sees Jesus Christ before, but he also has this moment, his, just, his heart was completely opened up where he, he knew what he, his heart had been illuminated to who Jesus was. His, his life was not the same. He's like, woe is me, I'm undone. He, he confesses a sin and he just throws himself at the service of God and he says, you got a job to do here, am I, send me. Why? Because he saw Jesus. Because God opened his heart to see Jesus. Even the apostle John says, we beheld his glory. We didn't just see his face. Our, our hearts understood who he was. We beheld his glory, the or- glory of the only begotten Son of God. The, the, the treasure of Jesus Christ is what we needed. Number two, the, the treasure of Jesus Christ is what we have. Okay, if you have a heart to change the world or to change your family, what we have at our disposal is Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what makes the Christian church distinct from the world. That's what we offer the world. That's what we have to give. We have a treasure. Paul says in, in Philippians 3 that he's like, he had found such a treasure in Christ that he was willing to abandon everything counted as rubbish that he might know Christ and be found in him. He wanted to have it. Do you all remember uh, the story of Jim Elliott? Now, I've shared this story a handful of times. Uh, Jim Elliott was uh, just, God, God illuminated Jesus in his heart. And in the, I believe it was the 40s uh, into the 50s, he had this desire to go as a missionary uh, to a very uh, difficult tribe in South America that was known for being fairly murderous of outsiders and even of insiders. Uh, And he, he wanted to go share the gospel because he thought they deserved to find the treasure that he had found. 
And he had all these people that were saying, you know, what a dumb thing. Don't go because they're probably just going to kill you. You're giving up this, this life here to go, to go there. And he said something that just stuck with me for a long time. He says, you're no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he could never lose. He had found a treasure hidden in the field that in his joy was willing to throw everything in so that he might not only know Jesus but make him known. That's what he had. That's what drove him was he had this treasure he wanted to share. And number three, not only is is the treasure of Christ what we needed when we were lost, what we have now that we're found, it is what we share. The gospel message of Jesus, the treasure of Christ himself, is what we share. And what we hope to be happening a hundred years from now is a faithful people, none of us will be there, a faithful people holding out the message of Jesus and doing so in jars of clay because that's what the world needs. And the world is searching for that, although I think the world doesn't often know what they're searching for. Every one of us is looking for Jesus. Be, there, there's something inside of us that's broken needs to be fixed. There's, it's been phrased this way, that we all have a God-sized hole, that we're searching for something. And, and what the faithful church does is hold out and present what you're looking for and what you need is Jesus. You may not know it, but you're frantically searching for Jesus. And I want to walk through just a few examples in our world, in this room, in our city, of people that are searching for something, looking for something they don't know what it is. We need to present to them Christ as the fill in the blank for their soul. And some of these, uh, you know, they're good things. And at best, uh, we find them and we have like a common grace or a shadow of something good that points us to Christ. not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But at worst, we can really spend our life chasing things and it's not Christ and trying to fill a hole or a void and instead it's left a little more empty. In every job, that, that, that people that, that need Jesus, people in our city, in every job there's some type of search for purpose. And, and it's, it's a purpose that they're looking for that's deeper than any job can ever fulfill. In every politician, there's a search for stability. And the best case scenario is you have one that can bring a little bit of stability, but we're looking for something that's deeper than any politician can give. In every possession that we have or that we buy or that we accumulate, uh, oftentimes there's, there's a, a search for contentment that just doesn't quite get there. So we buy the next thing and the next thing. We're looking for contentment, trying to fill it, don't know what we're looking for. In every vacation, there's often a search for true rest. How many of you all have ever come back from a vacation? And said, I need a vacation. It was so exhausting. I didn't find the rest necessarily that I was looking for. In every, we live in such a strange culture. In every search and this kind of longing and attachment to celebrity, there's this longing for glory. Just like greatness and glory that we're looking for. They often leave us a little bit disappointed. And every sports team that we love or attach ourselves to or root for, there's a search for victory, right? Go Rangers. Go Cowboys, we'll just, we'll say it. In every substance addiction, there is a search for some type of relief. And yet often it's not found that the search remains, the hole is still there. In every relationship with a the father, there's a longing for acceptance 
In every protest that happens, there's a deep longing for justice. In every self-help book we buy, there's a longing for fulfillment. In every counselor that we see, there's a longing for security. With every insurance policy we buy, there's a long, or a counselor's looking for wisdom. Insurance policy, we're looking for security. In every boast and every brag that we have, we're looking for importance and value. In every one-night stand, we're looking for true intimacy. In every law that we want on the books, we're looking for equality. In every relationship we have, we're looking for love. In every sin, we're looking for a way out of the guilt and a way out of the shame. Whether we know it or not, humans are out searching for Jesus. That's why it's important we know we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have the answer that humans are looking for. The lost people are looking for, we hold him out. And as Tim Keller says, those who ignore or reject Jesus will never be able to stop looking for him in one way or another. The treasure of Christ, it's what we needed, it's what we have, it's what we give. A hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, we're still going to be clay pots. On our best day, on our worst day, we're, it's not about the pot, it's about the treasure. That's the message and the mission of the church. I Just kind of as we bring this to a close, and I'm sorry about my voice. I've been sick all week. Only my voice gets lower uh, when I'm sick, so this is my one chance, you know, to sound like Caleb Weatherall or, uh, or Josh Turner. <laughs> I, would take, I would take either one. What, uh, what I'm asking you to consider, and you know, if you've been a part of Redeemer for these last few months, uh, you've heard this over and over, not asking you to invest in a building, asking you to invest in a, a message about Jesus and the mission of the church to be jars of clay that hold inside of us the most invaluable, inexpressible treasure that the world needs. We invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray together. God, I pray that you might illuminate our hearts. God, so many of us, we're, we're maybe wandering around and we're searching. We know that we're looking for something, but it's, it's dark out there and we're stumbling around. And would you illuminate our hearts to help us to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory as both Lord and Savior? And to see his infinite worth as the treasure of all the galaxy, as the most valuable thing in existence. God, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus as he deserves to be seen, as a treasure that is hidden in a field that we might abandon everything so that we might in our joy find you. And truly, that is what a Christian is, someone who has found Christ and therefore found joy. God, help us be faithful, God, not just in the season that we have the baton, but in training and discipling the next generation for them to be faithful with the message and faithful with the mission. We recognize that we are but frail pots. We're earthen vessels made from the dust ourselves, frail and fragile and broken, and yet you've chosen for us to deliver treasure that the world needs. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. We love you, Jesus. 
We need you. We praise you. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our church and in our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to be faithful to do that until you return for us on all of God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.